Hi everyone. It will be great if we can continue these great conversations over morning tea. You're most welcome to join us after the service. It's now time to hear from God's Word. Um, so if you'd like to take out your Bibles um, to page uh, 1026. And on page 1026 you will find the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Thanks, Ryan, and uh, welcome everyone. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word, this strange prophecy from a long time ago. Uh, Father, speak to us today. Um, we pray that you'd show us the goodness of what you did in Jesus. Uh, we'd learn the lessons of John. Uh, we'd see what a wonderful thing it is to belong to you um, and to celebrate again this Christmas. Amen. Well, it is Christmas. Have you noticed? might have stolen up on you. It's stolen up on us. Normally we have our, um, our church Christmas feels like it kicks off with carols, which normally happens in a week or so's time, uh, sorry, two weeks' time. But, but um, it's like really right upon us, so much so that this time next week you won't be sitting here in church. Do you know that? I suspect you don't. Do you? A couple of people do. Because you'll be resetting your clock for 5pm in the afternoon and coming at night. And you'll be petting some farm animals as if you were there in the stable and eating some olives as if you were, you know, in Judea, right? Am I right? Metse master. And um, eating sausages like 
a bunch of Australians on a Sunday afternoon. And, uh, and then we'll be singing. So that, that's next Sunday. It's here. It's Christmas, right? Uh, amazing. Um, you'll be back to sing Jesus' praise in the evening, carol his character and crow about all his goodness to us. It's always a great night. I hope you'll be part of it. But before we get there, we're going to stop here, just before the kind of Christmas news, and revive our friendship with a man called Zechariah. Uh, we've met him before. You may remember him. He was a high priest in the temple of God, and we met him a few weeks ago, well, chronologically, nine months before this passage, um, in the temple, serving God, where he received great news that would turn the world upside down. It was such upside-down music for, uh, mu- news to him, particularly that he would have a son, he's so old and his wife barren, that it did turn his world upside down, and he could scarcely believe it. In fact, he kind of didn't. And so you may remember he was struck dumb and told by God that he wouldn't speak again until the child was born. Uh, he was literally kind of dumb about God at first and then he was dumb by God. Uh, almost as if God said to him, if you're not going to listen, then don't speak. Which frankly is a good temporary judgment that I wish God would visit on me and a few of us, I think. But at this point, Zechariah hasn't spoken for like nine months. Nine months! I once tried in a small group context not to talk for nine minutes. <laughs> it was the longest three minutes of my life. <laughs> Zechariah has been in a personal cone of silence. And as you read in the story, it shatters. And the child's born. People say, what are you going to name him? Like, Maybe Zechariah after his dad, or, you know, I don't know, Jacob, his grandfather, you know, Hosea, you know, his great great grandfather. And, um, and Zechariah, for the first time, having really heard what God said, grabs a writing tablet, presumably an iPad, Surface, something like that, and, uh, and scrolls on it. His name is to be John. And uh, he's believed the Lord, and he speaks. And uh, this priest becomes a prophet in a second. And everyone realises this kid, John, is not going to be like every other kid in the hills district of Judea. This kid is something special. That's what happens in the story part of this passage, which is, of course, something that freaks everyone out in a delightful way. It amazes them, it thrills them, and they, they all ask the great punchline of the story, which is in verse 66, and you can see it there. Everyone up and down the hills, one from another, says... What then is this child going to be? It's the obvious question, isn't it? What then is this child going to be? A fireman? A tax accountant? Zechariah answers with a prophecy, and you can see it's a prophecy because it's printed like poetry, which is helpful for us. Now, prophecy. Um, Prophecy is a bit of a weird thing. Uh, I had to school my um, Bible study up on this last week. Not all prophecy is about the future, okay? You'll think that if you learn about prophecy from Harry Potter, right? But it's not the sum total of knowledge about prophecy in the world, okay? Not all prophecy is about the future. Um, in fact, much Old Testament prophecy was not looking forward, but looking back and saying, don't you remember God's word? Don't be idiots. Change your ways now. That, in fact, the vast bulk of biblical prophecy looks back and then says, you need to sort something out now. Uh, some prophecy in the Bible doesn't even look very like 
super godish in content, but is just kind of common sense um, kind of encouragement in godliness for one another, to strengthen, comfort and encourage each other, 1 Corinthians 14 says. Prophecy is just not what a lot of us think. It's certainly not always future, but this one is. Not long, just like, you know, 30 years or so, but it does answer who this child will be in about 30-odd years. Um, And what we learn in response to this question, who's this child, what's this kid going to be, is that he will be the guy that wakes you up on the morning of a most fantastic dawn on a brand new day in which the plans of God arrive like sunlight and turn the world upside down and therefore right side up. That's who John is. Worth meeting? Mm. Let's have a look at the prophecy. The strange thing about this prophecy is, you know, it's clearly an answer to that question, what then is this child going to be? But the answer doesn't come until the second half of the prophecy. Have you noticed that? When you look at you can see it's broken up into two little verses. I don't know who did that. It's not like it was written originally that way, but it's a fair summary. And it kind of points out that the question, who's this child going to be, doesn't get answered till the second part, where Zechariah says, and you, my child. That is, I've been talking about something else. Now, you, my child. And you think, well, if that's the big question, is he saving up the best for the chorus? Or could it be that the question, who's this child going to be, is actually the second best question in this moment, and actually is. But we'll answer that question first, okay? We'll change the order of the song, if you like. And we get the answer to who this child is going to be in verse 76. It says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins, That is who the child will be, those two verses. That is, the child will be a prophet like his father, actually a bigger prophet. Zechariah was a very temporary prophet. John will be, Jesus says, the greatest of all the prophets. So like father, much more like the son, right? Prophet. He'll apparently go before some arrival of God. It's not like, you know, God is everywhere and all that jazz, but... The Bible saying God is about to become present in a special way to his people. Uh, and why? Well, because he will spread knowledge of God. Read, by the way, God's people were, had become dumb about God. And he will therefore bring what is necessary when you're dumb about God, forgiveness of sins. That's who John will be. It's pretty clear, right? Well, if it's not clear enough, let me put it another way. We'll do a little experiment. Put your hand up if you're a Sydney Roosters fan. Oh, one hand went straight up. Like, so boldly, so proudly. Two hands up here. Firstly, we admire you for your bravery. We loathe you for every... We, we admire that, but we loathe everything else. As, as you'll know, if you're you know, at all from Maribor, you're in Bunnies territory. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the NRL. This is Rabbitohs territory and... And people that belong to the Roosters really ought to be a little further north, beyond the pale, right? But here, occasionally, they find themselves among us. It's my my turn to talk, Alex, not yours, mate. (laughs) Just bringing a winning culture. Um, Winning culture, but stupidly named team. And I don't want to pay out on people in church too much, but just for a minute. 
Um, if you're a Bunnies fan, you'll know that's a really good name. If you hang out on Malabar Headland, uh, you'll, there's, there's rabbits everywhere. Chifley's lousy with them. Larpa, you know, they're a scourge. It makes sense to name your team the Bunnies if you're in South Sydney. Now, I've been to Bondi for holidays because that's the only reason why people go there. And therefore, on holidays, I know what it is to sleep in. And in Bondi on holidays, I've slept in late. And do you know why? No roosters. <laughs> what a dumb named team. Sydney. There's not a rooster in Bondi. And I can tell you why. I have here the bylaws of Waverley Council. I read, I quote, The housing of roosters is not encouraged or supported within the council area. The nature of a rooster is to make noise early in the morning. Yes, this is the bylaws. Don't you love the way they're spelling stuff out to city kids? <laughs> the nature of a rooster is to make noise early in the mornings. And this in turn disturbs the peace of the neighbouring premises residents. Roosters are generally farm animals and built urban city environment. That's how you know it came from Waverley Council. Did you hear that? Built urban city environment. Does not provide conditions which allow for the housing of them. Failure to comply with this may result in council serving an order for the immediate removal of the chicken under the Local Government Act 1993. Hmm? Are they serious? They're serious up there. So that's why there are no roosters in Bondi. Stupidly named team. It is therefore possible they're also, by the way, illegal in South Sydney. So it's possible that we may forget what it's like to have a sunrise called in by a morning cry. And you may have forgotten what it is like to have a herald who tells you that a new day is about to begin. <laughs> a, a little better than that. <laughs> that sounded like my phone alarm going off. When a rooster crows, and I've heard them recently, it's an amazing thing. You can probably remember it dimmed back in, back in your mind. It's actually a really amazing thing. When a rooster crows, a gate opens up to a whole new world. The world gets turned upside down. You haven't seen a scrap of light yet. But it's coming very soon, and you know now. And you can get up and gather your water or um, put the kettle on or find an axe. <laughs> Depends on how you feel about the morning, right? At some point we decided we preferred sleep to wake and night to day and so we ruled out all the roosters. Like, the rooster is not by nature a farm animal. It's just an animal. The reason we keep it on farms is because we, we like to sleep late. It's just a decision. It's not nature. Which means that we might just forget the beauty of having the day heralded. The rooster is actually a really good mascot for John the Baptist. Who's this child going to be? He's going to be the great morning cry on the great coming day of salvation. The light is coming. No wonder, a little later in the story, they cut his head off. But not the wise. The wise got up. The wise got up and they went out. They like packed their bags from the city actually and they went out to the country to hear the rooster crow. They found him by the river in Jordan. They went out and they listened up and they repented in thousands. 
It was a threat to the religious establishment. The, t- the temple, guys in the temple freaked out. They're going, where's the congregation gone? They've gone to hear the rooster. Because the day was coming. That's who John is. You'll notice the rest of this um, prophecy is not about him because it answers an even bigger question, not who is this child going to be, but what is God going to do? And that's the point of the child, isn't it? He's, he's, the, he's the herald, he's the preacher, the prophet, the rooster of what God is going to do. And we see that in the rest of the prophecies, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I'll skip down. Salvation from our enemies. Mercy to our ancestors. You can read it for yourself. Rescue from the hand of enemies. Um, all this great stuff. What does it mean? Literally, he's saying John is going to remind us that God is about to return a king from the house of David to the throne in Israel. You go, wow, that's great news for someone else of a different time. Now, I just want you to get out of your own skin for a minute and kind of stand in the shoes of Zechariah or Elizabeth or you know, Miriam down the street and Hosea across the way, whoever. Uh, anyone in Jerusalem at the time or in Israel and remember that you're, at, at this time, you are like, well, let's use a country you know, you're like Zimbabwe. You're a, you're a backwater province that people remember as a place of a bit of promise and is now a bit of a ruin. And you're ruled by a jerk who has no legitimacy, but he affects everything. His name's Herod, and he's a puppet king. He is no son of David. Imagine that, in the country that is... It's the house of David, right? The great Davidic kingdom. No, there's a little king being put in place by the Romans, who are your real rulers, and they, under the Pax Romana, arrived with roads made by and travelled by armies who've brought you no peace. And your life is hard and miserable. And you go, if you're a believer there, you go, I don't get this. I know the plans of God and they don't look like this. What, is, what does it mean to live under Yahweh? And Zechariah says, that plan that you don't see, God has not forgotten. And God is going to press go on it now. What would that be like? It was like the coming of Jesus. What would it look like? Well, we we find out in verse 78 and 79 that this would happen because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. What God will do is he'll send his Davidic king, his son of David, Jesus, which Luke, at the beginning, points out to us, he's a son of David, not like Herod, right? And he will be like the sun coming up, darkness gone, death revealed to be a weakling in a whole new light, peace, well, now you know the road to it, and it's not Rome. And these things might kind of come by glibly off my tongue, but I'm a pastor, and I meet darkness all the time. And we're Christians and a church... And we've been at prayer together for the life of Luana for months now and are today because death's real. 
And it is Christmas, and I know I'm slightly dreading the family arrangements around the table because I don't have peace. And your life might be a lot better than mine, but I tell you what, to the naked eye, my life looks pretty good. But if we open up the cover and read the story, there's plenty of things to weep over. And they're not that far into the story or that hard to find. These things are real. Real darkness in our lives and in our hearts. In my heart. The threat of death. He, he is our enemy. Even on the other side of the resurrection, we're still doing hand-to-hand combat with him. And peace, oh, that's a promise. Not always here. This is big news. And this child John was going to be the opening act for the greatest resolution of all time. Someone else would have to put out the fires. He was going to be a prophet. What does it have to do with us? Well, obviously it's quite a different time and all that jazz. And if you were there, you had to be a prophet to see all this. You had to have God show you something you never could have seen with your own eyes. You had to be a prophet and have some revelation of the spirit to crow about the coming of the light. Well, what's different now is you don't have to be a prophet. (laughs) We've seen it. We're on the other side of the horizon. The day's come. And as weird as this day is, and it's pretty weird, we're living in that light and seeing it begin to dawn. It's a long day. It's been a really long day. But we're in that day. And we're seeing more and more of it. And it's just such amazing news. You don't have to be a prophet to see it. You don't have to be any kind of Jesus to share, genius to share in it. You don't even have to be Jesus to share in it. He shared it with you. <laughs> to announce to this world, Christmas, just like it was done by a prophet on the first, takes no qualification. You know what it takes? Just a little bit of the natural excitement that God's Spirit has put in your heart about the greatest news you've ever heard. So let me tell you what I'm excited about this week. A few things. On Wednesday, 16 people will arrive at our church and to some of your homes and to your beds and breakfast tables, all the way from Adelaide. They've come because they know Jesus. There are brothers and sisters, and I don't know two-thirds of their names yet. But they're coming to share with us and to share Jesus with others in Maroubra. That's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm really excited because some of them will be dead terrified by that. But every one of them will go home by Monday next week much more confident and much more excited themselves because nothing makes you more excited about Jesus than talking to others about him. And, I, and, and these, these few from Adelaide don't even do this in Adelaide yet, but by, by the time they leave here next year they'll be on campus at Adelaide Uni, North Terrace, able to do it, ready to go. Wow. That, that makes me very excited. I'm also really excited. Next Saturday night, our church will do a selfless thing. We'll take our choir and, and that team and a bunch of other people and we'll go over the hill to Coogee into Rooster's Territory. Like, this is gospel ministry, right? We, we break boundaries. We don't respect ethnicity at this point. We say everyone, everyone's owed Jesus, even the people of Coogee. 
and we'll partner up with St. Nick's, St. Paul's and St. Bridget's. My goodness, did you say we're partnering with the Catholic Church? Yes, we are. Why? Because we're telling seven, eight hundred people there that Jesus coming is great news. I'm very excited about that. We're going to walk around and paint faces and hands and hand out little booklets of the gospel to families and tell them about Jesus. And then on Sunday night, I'm really excited because we're going to do it again. And this time we get to play at home. We do it here. And this place will be full of you and your friends. And, and I know when people come here to that, they see you singing Jesus with real heart. And I know that because I actually did something unusual today. I wasn't here at the beginning of the service. I got caught up in a great conversation with someone new to our church at the service before. So I came in late and I came in while you were singing Mighty to Save. And I watched all the backs of your heads and it was just beautiful. And I know when I um, WhatsApp my friends in Maroubra, maybe the band that Dan and I play with this week, and say, hey, you want to see some other people play music with heart? You know, don't go to some commercial crap carols at Coogee, come to ours. Right? Um, and I know if they come, they'll see people singing about something they mean. And, that, and I know that we're a distracted mob and half the year we barely look like Christians because the world is so on top of us. But when I come on Carol's Night and see you sing about Jesus, I remember that Jesus is among his people and it's my favourite night of the year. I think that's really exciting. I'm also really excited because at Christmas your friends don't even mind hearing about it. Did you know that the ABC did a massive study of Australian attitudes recently called Australia Talks? Did you hear about that? Annabelle Crabb's been interpreting it to us. She sent me an email. She might have sent it to a couple other people. Uh, I subscribed and I learnt that 66% of non-religious Australians think that religious folk in Australia are discriminated against sometimes. I'm like, wow! Two out of three people that aren't religious think religious folks in Australia are actually getting a little bit of a raw deal. I was like hugely encouraged by that. Then I read the next stat. 72% of these same people think we should be more quiet about it. <laughs> I'm like, do you get that? 66% of people go, oh, yeah, yeah, some religious folk are not always treated nicely. And then all of those people, plus 6% more, said, yeah, let's just turn that up a little notch. <laughs> it's so funny. It's funny because it doesn't matter, right? And it doesn't matter, because at Christmas they'll be happy to hear from you anyway. And in fact, they are all the time. I mean, I'm yet to meet anyone that tells me to shut up. And I know when I actually, actually, I hear people tell me to shut up all the time. But when I talk, when I'm there to talk about my faith with people, I find they're all ears. Don't believe the press. Don't believe what people say in surveys. That's what they think they think, because they're thinking about someone on social media. They're thinking about a jerk Christian who they've read about in the press, and you're not them. And they're not hearing Jesus on social media. They're hearing politics. But when they meet you, and you show them you're excited about Christmas, despite all the craziness, because you just remember how much you love Jesus, they love hearing it. Because deep down in the hollow heart of Australia, there is such a need to hear good news. And we have the best so that's why I'm excited. A rising sun has come from heaven. He kicks darkness well down the road. And no one has to be a prophet to call it to anyone else's attention. You just have to find your way 
to share your natural excitement about the best news that you've ever heard. you just got to think a bit like a rooster. For the sun's already up. And more is coming. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, pray against all the crazy distractions of this time, the immense pressure on us at work, the the difficulties of family life. Uh, We pray against that, not because we're, we're down on it at all, but because we want to see Jesus again and we need to. And um, when we do, we're so heartened. Uh, So, Father, we pray that this Christmas um, you would stop us in moments to show us the Jesus of eternity. That we'd remember that he has really saved us. That he's brought light to our darkness. That he'll relieve us of the burden of death. And even now again we remember that he's brought us to peace and we're so thankful. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.